looking behind the headlines at how geopolitics influences the dry bulk shipping market, how trade always manages to find a new equilibrium, examining trade flows through algorithms. Find out about these on the latest Chat About Geopolitics and Trade episode of the Sea Trade Maritime podcast with guest presenter Punit Ozer, founder of Maritime NXT. Over to you, Punit. Thank you very much, Marcus. Welcome to another episode of Chat About Geopolitics and Trade, as I call my chat GPT, the podcast which I'm thoroughly enjoying. Today, I am absolutely delighted to have two of my former colleagues and people who I really feel have an amazing grip on this particular subject. Michael Jorgensen, Head of Dry Bulk at Clavenus Dry Bulk, and Peter Lindstrom, Head of Research at Clavenus Dry Bulk. Toward Clavenus is a company which I have had the privilege of working in past. And both these ex-colleagues, as I said, have been amazing in terms of their insights. Today, I intend to draw out from Michael and Peter a little bit about how geopolitics and trade interact with each other. Michael, specifically being in the dry bulk space, has a direct connection to what I am being talking about. But also, interestingly, Peter, coming from the research angle, will bring in a lot of interesting insights. Gentlemen, I welcome you to my podcast, and I'm really excited to talk to you about geopolitics and trade. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Michael, maybe I start with you. Geopolitics and trade are quite closely interlinked with each other. And this, as I said, is a background, which is the reason why I teach the course on geopolitics and trade flows in various universities. And I was doing that even for a few years when I was in Clavenus with you. This was always in the background, but I have tried to bring it a little bit to the foreground. What are your kind of thoughts on the interaction between these two? And why is it that this is not highlighted in a big way within shipping companies or decision making? Maybe subconsciously it is, but consciously it doesn't come out to the table as often as it should. What do you think about that? Why are things not highlighted? Why I think that brought to the forefront is always a question. I think different people, different agendas, right? You mentioned yourself were engaging a lot with with the younger community already back then. But I think for... For many others, let's say outside of shipping, this is just something that happens. I don't think we look necessarily at a car or at a piece of metal and we think, oh, someone has shipped that from somewhere to get it there. We're forgetting a little bit what is it that's happening for all these things that we contribute. Right? And then our job is to try and make it interesting and also explain what are the impacts of big things. When you read most articles in the newspaper around international politics, it will actually have a trade effect. Yes. So I hope, of course, during this session, we can share a little bit more about what those are. Absolutely. That's very true. One of the reasons why I think this course has excited me is also because you can go behind the headlines, as I call it. I think most of the podcasts have actually highlighted that space. But maybe I come to Peter first, and then we go back to both of you. Peter, when it comes to research, I think one of the things that I always noticed, even when I was working in Clavenus with you guys, I think since then I've seen more of this happening, is you've actually tried to analyze the commercial impacts of the geopolitical events. When things are happening, it's great to talk about information that what trade has gone, what trends have actually happened. But when you try and look at headlines and try and build the kind of implications of that and how you can profit probably from it on commercial side, that is a very exciting space to be in. So how do you see research taking that proactive role rather than a reactive role, as I call it, in the business and contributing positively, especially on the geopolitics side? First of all, we trade mostly in the spot market and maybe one year out. So as a research function, we don't spend too much time 
worrying about uh, geopolitical events that might occur sometime in the future. Let's say the China-Taiwan conflict. If that happens at some time, it will have a big impact, but it's not something we can build into our forecasts. What we do is that we have built up a huge database, a lot of applications, which enables us, and on top of our domain knowledge, we can very quickly analyze the impact of an event. So if it's an event, there's increased tension. Something is definitely up on agenda. There's something might occur in a, in a short period of time. Then we sit down and analyze if this happens, what would be the potential impact? Who will stop buying from whom? Which transit channels will be closed? What will be the impact of that? There's a lot of parameters and you have to put them up against each other and, and land on a conclusion and act on it. And then also you have cases where something just happens suddenly from one day to the other. And then it's all about speed. Then you just have to be very quick based on your database, based on how you see the trade flows, based on your domain expertise, say that based on this incomplete information and this incomplete analysis, the net effect is likely to be this, and we should position ourselves accordingly. Down the road, that might turn out to be a false, but you need to act as soon as possible when you have positions in the freight market. And as long as that's a data-driven position taking, I think you are, over time at least, you should be able to beat your competition. Absolutely. And I think that step-by-step -step approach is pretty amazing. What I am actually, the far few years of experience of teaching this course, I just find that the syllabus keeps changing very often. And the number of points that you need to take into account are far too many. How do you, as a head of research, look at this specifically in terms of choosing the battles, let's say, that you need to really fight? It's a very interesting space, but you still have to be aware of what priorities that you have, really. And how do you evaluate those priorities? That'll be fascinating to see. Yes. So whenever these geopolitical events happen, you have to assess which commodities are affected, which countries are affected. Is it an oversupplied market? meaning that, yeah, you, you have some kind of equilibrium today. Now that is shifted. So let's take an example, iron ore market. And let's assume that you only have three players. You have uh, Brazil, Australia on the export side, and you have China on the importing side. So for dry bulk freight rates, ton mile is a big driver. So it's the volumes transported times the distance. So the higher the distance, the better for shipping. So if we say that we are in an oversupplied market, China suddenly has, um, we've seen the other case, Australia, China, but let's use the Brazil to, to China. Their relationship breaks down and they stop trading. Obviously, this is uh, negative, even though Australia might be able to replace the volumes lost from Brazil, the average mm. distances will decrease. That will be a very negative effect for dry bulk. There's this timeline effect. So sometimes there's a trade war, but it's communicated in advance that Two months forward, it will no longer be allowed to discharge Russian coal in the EU, for instance. Okay. Then it might have a short-term positive effect because people are front-loading these regulations. So you have an immediate right. positive effect. More often, it's a sudden event. From one day to the other, trade is disrupted. And then you're moving from some state of equilibrium where mm -hmm. you have established trade lanes and you're no longer in that equilibrium. That tends to have a negative short-term effect. Because if Brazil was a big supplier of iron ore to China and, and they can no longer be that, well, it takes time to reroute those volumes, etc. But then, okay, the medium-term impact, if you look like a quarter ahead and onwards, 
It can be very positive effect or negative net effect for shipping. It just depends on whether it's an oversupplied market or not. And if it's two parties who are close to each other who's in a trade war, then average distances are likely to increase. If it's two countries which is far apart, then it's likely to have a negative effect. Of course, one thing is just having the domain expertise and over time building up your knowledge base and knowing that, for instance, right now, I know that iron ore and coal, there's a buyer of every ton available. Just having that as a backdrop is very useful. Over the years, you start to, to understand what's important, what is not important. Iron ore, for instance, is, of course, a by far more important commodity for dry bulk as a whole than manganese ore or some other dry bulk commodity, which has much lower volume. These things over time, at least it makes it easier to make a sound assessment whenever these things happen. Very true. I think that's a very important point to note in terms of what your priorities can be customized. Specifically, I just wanted to ask you, Michael, carrying on from this discussion, how do you see putting this into practice? Because obviously, I talked to the students from my days in Claveness that one of the geopolitical, now I look back, it's a geopolitical development of Qataris exporting urea, something that they never used to do because the Yara joint venture with them did not allow them to export to US at the time. But when they dissolved the joint venture, Qatar to US Gulf became a route that we then fixed with Muntajat. And that's the kind of implication that I see that there is happening in practice. So Peter talking about this in terms of what could happen or what potentially might happen, how do you see this translate into actions? Can you give us some examples, even they may be dated, they can be useful examples for us to ponder over and learn some lessons from, yeah? I think if you come back to what Peter is saying, that, that every ton is getting sold, that also means that the world tends to find an equilibrium fairly quickly. So if you look at numbers for Russia exports, and Peter, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that Russia's exports are more or less the same as they were before the war or before the conflict between the Ukraine and, and Russia. Of course, yeah, it's uh, gone up a bit. But of course, they're selling to different countries. So if you go in and you analyze actually the export of Russia, you can say, see that things are still moving. There'll be two or three countries that you've seen a big push, and there'll be other countries that obviously ha have disappeared. Those countries are then buying from, from somewhere else. And this is again interesting because the world just keeps finding the equilibrium. We, we keep on making sure that the cargo moves and, and the ships are moving. This is, of course, in terms of ton miles, what, what Peter mentioned ha, have been fairly positive because it hasn't been necessarily the closest origin trade. It has more been whoever wants to buy my coal and those who don't want to buy it anymore, they buy from somewhere further away. So I think that's a very concrete example and something that's easy to relate to. So that's probably one I would point out at the moment. Absolutely. No, that's a very valid example. And I think it's, it's about really targeting and keeping a track of that as well. And obviously, one of the good things is that you can get a lot of this, let's say, leads from Peter, but you have to then see this happening in the market. You need to see those cargoes actually being out there with your network, and then you need to cross-verify those things. And that's the interesting part as well, which is the fascinating part of how technology marries physical relationships and basically the basic bonding blocks of shipping still remain valid in spite of technology being there. So it's really an interesting topic, a separate one though. But let me get to something that both of you have actually done. And I have very thankful that you have given me and my students access to it as well. And that's the market manager. You guys have now got the market manager out there. And it's a, a tool that I am really thankful that I get the chance to access myself, but also allow students to access in order to understand just the trade flows 
for those who are listening in, it's a fantastic interactive tool which allows people to basically look at trade flows over the past many years between countries, between commodities, trends, changes. Talk a little bit about it to both of you, one after the other, because it's a really interesting product. And I would love to get the listeners to learn know more about it. Please. For many years, we have had uh, trade flows and we built our own dashboards on top of it, which are from third providers, which have good accuracy, but often comes with a delay. Being traders in spot market, we need to have very fresh information and try to stay ahead of the others. So recently we have built or concluded something we call Bulk Pulse, which will also be available on Market Manager. I think you have seen the old tool actually, Punit, but I think it's more interesting to talk about our new tool. <laughs> so, I look forward to using that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So what we do here is that we have built our own trade flow algorithm, which we call Bulk Pulse where we are buyers and have for many years been buyers of raw AIS data, position data of vessels. These vessels send out every fifth second or so, they send out their position. Then we have mapped out all the dry bulk births in the world and drawn geofenced each individual birth in the world. And we've annotated it with the commodities moving out. So we have the smallest building blocks and we can create a lot of insights uh, on top of that. For instance, uh, as you mentioned, trade flows, we can have a live gorg at any point of time and see how much iron ore is on the water, how much has been loaded. So I like to say the most uneducated people in our business, they take their positions just based on their gut feel. And hopefully it's at least a gut feel that's based on many years in the industries, which is worth something. Then you have the somewhat more educated people who they look at customs data, and look at the, the, the flow of commodities. But that often comes like with two months delay. So you would be acting in retrospect. Then you have other providers or others who use more updated information, which is also possible to break down into specific segments, sub-segments, like Cape size, Panamax, Supermax, Handy size, etc., which you normally can't do with customs data. And then you have our new tool, which basically is live. So rather saying, in October, we had very high loadings of this and that. It's likely to have a negative effect this month because all of those vessels will discharge. We can say, right now, these vessels are discharging and we see that the supply base is increasing. Having this liveliness and freshness, it's worth a lot in our market where we are traders of spot trades. So this, again, helps our commercial people to really be on top of things, right? And what Peter and the team have built over the years, because this is not just a job done in a week or two. It's taken a long time to get to where we are. That really enable us to focus on, let's say, every trade, understanding that very well, but also understanding the bigger picture of, okay, what are, what are the overall movements? It can really be leveraged if you want to look into it, if you really want to understand something, it, it, it gives you such an advantage, right? And that's, of course... I wouldn't say we understand it before everyone else, but that is a part of it, right? It is a part of being being able to be just, you don't need to be a lot ahead, but if you're a couple of days or even a week ahead in understanding the data and the knowledge that's out there, it's, it's a big advantage. And to add, uh, just so one yeah. thing you can get from this is the trade flows and, and the commodities moving. But as we are controlling the smallest building blocks, the position data of the vessels and, and the geofencing of birds, etc., you can produce a lot of other type of insights, like port turnaround times. So you can have a live GOG on the turnaround time in ports. What's the waiting time? What's the congestion? 
etc etc it's really exciting these days to work with this data absolutely and and i i love this uh, quotation that i read many years ago saying that you're never scared of darkness once you know where the light switch is basically you once you are able to click that button you know the light will come on and and that's really about the the comfort that you have this information that you have the ability to use that information how you use it is of course completely different for each individual company and person but it's still there and that's great so that's really interesting let me come back to you michael Clavness has had a history of joint ventures in past. I think that was also one of the subconscious way of managing geopolitical risks or uh, managing these uh, potential opportunities in some ways or the other. Today obviously Clavness has got multiple offices in other parts of the world and your joint venture with Maru Beni and Maru Clav is of course another JV which is uh, amazingly uh, doing very well. Do you see that as a way of kind of managing risks on a macro level? Do you see the ability to collaborate, forming JVs, setting up offices as a way of taking the pulse of the market and collaborating what Peter would get in terms of information? I know you've got research people sitting in Dubai as well now. How, how do you see that strategy being connected to the geopolitical and managing of the risks as such? That will be fascinating. Yeah, I would almost turn it upside down, right? By being aware uh, of what's going on and being able to understand what what's moving out there, we are also able to see trends. We're able to see movements. We're able to understand what is coming from where to where and which trades do, do we want to be a part of certain grain trades or most grain trades from australia to china was stopped for quite a few years because of the issues there that's now back but the minute we saw that movement in the data that Peter and the team is building we knew that we had to be close and we had to be present to the people who are actually doing the freight there so it's again i have the offices there predominantly for relationships but because we have the knowledge we know which are the relationships we need to leverage the most when it comes to partnerships and all of that i don't think i don't think we're ever really done in cleverness right because because we we, we always believe in this uh, two plus two is five and most of the time it is like that to add on that so market manager as a tool we will sell software as a service to third parties including these bulk pulse algorithms and, and the insights on there it can serve as a kind of integration platform where you can interact more closely with other players in the industry which is a very fragmented industry there's an overall goal to make it less fragmented and if you have a digital interface like market manager should make cooperation joint ventures etc more likely to happen and and more easy to manage absolutely and we're nearly coming to the end of this but i just wanted to highlight that one of the passions that i have had for many years and now i'm actually being able to execute that is talking to the young ones and trying to mentor as well as help the younger ones to really get the passion for the industry and you guys are of course role models i can see that during my time in clavness we've always had interns coming in a lot of interns decided to get into permanent employment with clavness and they've been doing very well so i am fully aware of that and you continue to take on the young blood and train them so both of you just a few tips and tricks as to what can these students who are listening to this podcast really try and focus on if they want to try and latch on to a employment opportunity in clavness what is it that you are looking for them to focus on in the next 2 3 years of their education so that they can actually start getting the best of the opportunities with companies like clavness and others if you're a young person coming into clavness it is like a playground where basically every roller coaster you can imagine any activity that that you really want is available to you you got some of the best data structured of 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 any company in the world and you got a lot of shipping knowledge and actually you have a company willing to put those two together so find your passion find what are the one or two places where you want to contribute so clavness's vision we have improving the nature of shipping 
every young person, old person, everyone in Clarvinus, they should have their own improving the nature of shipping. Where is it they want to be 18, 24 months from today? What is the change they want to be a part of? And if we can instill that, I think that would be the best thing for everyone, for them and for us. But I think it's important to say it's not only for the young guys. This is also a little bit of a change management for people who've been in the organization for 5, 10 and 15 years. Um, it's a constant journey. I can vouch for that, Michael, 100%. Peter, what about you? You've had some younger people, of course, different people in the research side as well. How do you see them getting this mindset about plotting some ideas or tracking some news and looking behind the headlines? How do you instill that curiosity is one of the values that you have in Clavinus, right? Yeah. So whenever we recruit someone for the research team, we at least for a more market analyst type of role, I basically look at the two things. One is that they have a specific interest in shipping. That's very important that they can demonstrate that interest through what they've done so far. Secondly, we are becoming a very quantitative team. So we actually put very high up on the agenda that you have some kind of programming competence uh, as well. So keen shipping interest, interest for trade in general, financial subjects combined with programming skills. And if the person also is not extremely introvert, that would be a plus. <laughs> you need to interact with other people. Alcohol plays a big part in that, I can tell you that, but that's another story. <laughs> but seriously, I think it's it's been a pleasure. I always enjoy interacting with you. I've had the pleasure of seeing the company from the inside. I now see it from the outside, and I'm super proud the way you guys are improving the nature of shipping. So thank you very much for your time. And I'm sure that the new market manager is something that I look forward to testing and using, and so do my students, as long as they are students. Thank you very much. That is all we have time for this week. Thank you for listening to the C-Trade Maritime podcast and make sure you subscribe on the app of your choice to never miss an episode.